Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. Of course, you can get to me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Day four SEC Media Days recap pod. Lots of stuff planned for you. Going to move quickly. We are back at the home studio, so no more road games, no more hotel rooms. Uh, back at the home studio, so uh, going to move fast here today. Got, got a lot of stuff planned for you. We're going to hear, of course, from Derek Hall, who I think might have been the most impressive player I spoke with the entire week. Uh, a stellar defensive lineman for Auburn had a lot of insight into what the Auburn players went through last year as they as Auburn was trying to basically out his coach. Hendon Hooker is just an exceptional young man. Uh, he talked a lot about a lot of things. You're going to hear about his experience at the Manning Passing Academy and how he built up some relationships with some folks, uh, some other players, some other quarterbacks in the SEC, uh, as well as how comfortable he is now in this new offense, accountability, uh, and of course what I'm obsessed with, which is what I ask basically everybody about, you know, whether it's Arkansas or Tennessee or everybody in between, communication and why certain coaches are landing and getting through to players right now. So he had a really insightful answer about that. So you hear from both of those guys today. Had a chance to sit down with Trey Wallace of OutKick. Going to cover all things Tennessee, recap the big day, day number four. And we'll talk with the uh, the godfather of Texas A&M football and Southeast Texas, Luch, Billy Lucci from TexAgs.com. So a lot of stuff to get to coming up momentarily. Obviously, want to remind you, J.E. Dunn, our title sponsor, super special thanks to them for allowing us to go to Atlanta and cover this event and bring you all this content. There's a lot of stuff that's not on the pods that's over on the YouTube page, a lot of other players. Uh, so make sure you go check that out. Um, rate, review, subscribe. You know the whole deal. Uh, make sure you share the product and and, and uh, click that little subscribe button on the YouTube page. It means a lot to us. Uh, so go ahead and do that. Again, you can watch the full interview with Billy Lucci, Trey Wallace. There's some shorts up there with all the players. So uh, go check all that out. That And again, all of this courtesy of J.E. Dunn. Again, you know the drill at this point. This is a family-oriented, industry-leading benefits, industry-best turnover rate, like one of the lowest turnover rates in terms of employment. Employment. Uh, you don't need any background at all to go work for JE Dunn. And uh, again, voted 2022 best place to work, $5 billion in annual revenue and offices across the Southeast. So if you're looking to make a change, I'm telling you, JE Dunn is your spot, jedunn.com. Go check them out. The first takeaway, normally I lead with players. But this is a bit more of a recap pod. Next week, Aaron and I will have an entire conversation about some of the superlatives and some of the best and worst things that we saw at Media Days. Um, in particular, one reporter interrupting Tank Bigsby, which is just completely insane on day number four, like three words into a question. He hadn't even answered the question he was already asked before the guy asked the question. I, I literally have never seen anything like it. So um, going to be uh, – I normally start with players, but I think number one biggest takeaway from the entire event, it was boring. Um, the players are great. There's a lot of insight. There's a lot of stuff that you learn about the game and about the SEC being around media and being around coaches and players and being around commissioners and stuff. And again, if you want to learn a lot about how the event is put on, go check out Lamestream Sports. Herb Vincent, the associate commissioner, I had a chance to talk with him for about 20 minutes. So go check out Lamestream Sports this week, a really interesting peek behind how the event is presented, what happened with he and Greg Sankey right after the Texas and Oklahoma news broke last year, uh, and how they're planning for Nashville, of course, next season. So make sure you go uh, check that interview out as well. It just is so much more corporate in Atlanta. It's all spread out. The lobbies don't even function all that well. The hotel is designed strangely. It's just stale and corporate. And then, of course, as we expected, all the coaches didn't really say anything. Greg Sankey, the marching orders, you'll hear Lucci talk about this later. Pretty clear that that they wanted to keep in line. Uh, Brian Harson was interesting, and we can kind of get into this a little bit later on. Brian Harson had some interesting comments coming right out of the gate during his speech. But uh, by and large, very corporate, very stale. 
the players, once again, I know I sound like a broken record, but the players were absolutely the best the entire week. Exceptional collection of young people playing football in the SEC, and they should be celebrated for it. Uh, so again, we'll hear from Billy Lucci talking Texas A&M. Again, predictions as usual on these three teams at the end of the pod. Trey Wallace, uh, Hendon Hooker in just a second, but let's begin with Derek Hall. Uh, he talked about, this was fascinating to me, he talked a little bit about you know what actually took place in the locker room and and the wisdom he gained through the process of watching them try Auburn that is try to oust their head football coach it was completely insane obviously what took place with the investigation and internally with Auburn and the you know all that stuff and again I'll get to what Brian Harson had to say about it but Derek Hall was exceptional man it was just an extraordinary perspective from a young person who also happens to be a stellar defensive lineman uh, and of course what he did what the players did they marched into their president and AD's office and defended their coach so he, here was Derek Hall explaining all of that turmoil at Auburn last season I'm glad he's here. He's here to meet today with us and we're rolling into the season. Oh, it was crazy. Uh, the change has been tremendous. You know, just to the, the thought of that happening, uh, let God know that you can lose anything at any moment. So don't take anything for granted. Uh, you know, coach is here then all of a sudden. It was on the waiver loop of he, he, he was gone or was he going to be here. So um, I think that taught God a lot. Like, holy crap, like, things can flip in the blink of an eye. So don't take it for granted. And I think uh, that, that's huge for this team this year, not taking anything for granted because once it's gone, it's gone. Um, I've been here going on four years now, and the, this offseason has been the fastest offseason that I've ever been through. I mean, like, football's here, and it flies by quick. So, uh, you know, don't take that for granted. I mean, it seems, it seems like I've been here two days, and like I said, I've been here four years. So um, it goes by quick, and like, like I said, that's the biggest aspect of this team is not taking nothing for granted because we saw the deal with Coach, and we were like, oh, crap. You know what I'm saying? Like, it brought us really, really close together in night to team. Yes, I did go. Uh, just just really our support for our coach. You know, I'm not going to disclose everything that we said, but we really wanted to be there and support our coach because uh, the things that he was going through, um, you know, it's tough. It's challenging. And we really couldn't speak on the situation because we didn't know too much about it. We didn't, want to, we didn't speak on the situation. We spoke on what we knew about our coach and the kind of man that he was. So that was the biggest thing. Heck no. Heck no. I love Armour. Armour loves me back. I wouldn't dare leave. Uh, if, if I was leaving, I was going to go to leave. But I knew when I came back, there was no way I would jump the ship. Because, I mean, the grass isn't always green on the other side. Um, I love Auburn, and I want to be here, and I'm glad I'm here. So there was no idea in my mind about going and moving anywhere because, I mean, I've already made my name here. Why would I up and leave? You know what I'm saying? Auburn loves me. I love Auburn back. Um, so that's the biggest thing. And there, so there was no, no doubt in my mind, no thought in my mind of leaving Auburn. What I thought was really interesting, and Derek Hall there, exceptional answer, really cool about how, you know, hey, we went in there and defended him. He's the man. Uh, and I just think, <laughs> honestly, in every walk of life, the perspective of enjoy what you have while you have it is just an extraordinary piece of wisdom from a young person. So uh, Derek Hall, also fantastic suit, might be the best dressed. Again, Derek Hall might win the award for best overall performance uh, at SEC Media Days for, for my money. And I, again, I didn't see every player. Uh, but just real quickly on Auburn before we get to Hendon Hooker in Tennessee and Trey Wallace. Harson came out of the gate swinging with a, a, a and that, that may be too harsh of a term. He came out very prepared. He said, "Look, I know I'm not going to talk about this issue. I'm going to address the gorilla in the room." And of course, he's talking about the internal investigation into his program and all the stuff that went on with the Auburn boosters and blah 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 blah. And, and he basically he didn't really say a whole lot. He just kind of said that there was something that happened. They did investigate. Um, it's brought us stronger. It's made us stronger. As Derek Hall said, it brought us closer together. And then I'm not going to talk about it. Like it really, he really, 
it felt like he wanted to say a whole lot, but then he didn't really say a whole lot. So I appreciate the, the line of thinking from him there. I don't really think it accomplished a whole lot. And honestly, this is, I think Brian Harsh is a very good speaker. I think he's a good coach. I think he's, um, you know, I think he's good for the job. I don't know if he's good for that job. But one of the things, like, you know, he was asked about the the rivalries being protected, you know, right, with, with the Iron Bowl and um, with Tennessee. And it was it just, he, like, he's talking about Alabama, and it's it just strikes me as, you know, he says things like, oh, well, it's, you know, we got we got to, we got to recruit the state of Alabama. I'm like, that's not how deep this runs, dude. It, it almost feels sometimes like when he's talking about the Alabama game is that he's talking about it like a guy from Idaho. <laughs> that's that's how it feels. And it, there, there's not this deeply rooted interwoven understanding of the fabric of the rivalry when he was talking about it. And I, it just it just struck me. Uh, I don't think it's a big deal. I don't think it matters. But like it did when he was speaking, I did it did sound like a guy who didn't grow up in it. And we know he didn't. And unless you did, you don't understand. And so that, that was just interesting note for me when I was watching him talk. Uh, I do think you can make the case for Auburn to be a good football team, and I will maybe do that at the end of the episode. Side note on Brian Harson that is completely anecdotal. When you're at the media event, you you walk by these guys a lot. You see them a lot. You'll like get on an elevator with Greg Sankey, or you'll. And if a coach recognizes you, or at least recognizes that you're in the media, there's always a, an acknowledgement or a head shake or a how you doing. And you know if you get in the elevator with Greg Sankey, there's always a quick conversation. He's always got something smart to say, probably imparting some wisdom. So there's always like these little moments, right, across the entire event over four days, where Mark Stoops, you get a you get a chat with Mark Stoops for a second as he's walking by, or you know whatever. Brian Harson, ironically, completely anecdotally. You know, not like Josh Heupel, not like the other guys, but just there's no like even acknowledgement that people exist. There's no like head nod. There's no, and it's not like in a rude way. It just looks like he's busy. But at least the other guys have sort of understood like the uh, the southern jovial like I don't know. There's a communication style there that Josh Heupel is. He's willing to say stop and say hi. He's willing to shake his hand and 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 nod and smile. And Mark Stoops does the same thing. And Shane Beamer's just built from this stuff. Sam Pittman, of course. And Greg Sankey, they're all kind of willing to play the game a little bit, if that makes sense. And Brian Harson, I saw him like two or three times where there, there could have been some sort of interaction, and he just sort of like <laughs> he just ignores everything that's going on. He's got blinders on, so don't know what that means. Maybe means nothing, but it was an observation uh, and a, hopefully a peek behind the curtain for you guys in terms of what takes place at Media Days. Let's get to Tennessee. Trey Wallace of Outkick going to join us coming up in just a second. You'll hear a conversation with him. We're going to cover basically everything about the team with him. But I do want you to hear from Hendon Hooker. He talked about the maturation of the program and the team and and holding each other accountable. I asked him about I asked him about the communication style from Josh Heupel and why it landed and why it's working. Something I've obviously been obsessed with the entire week. But he also talked about building relationships with the other quarterbacks in the SEC East at the Manning Passing Academy. It was it was a great experience, a blessing to be there. Um, you know, learn some learn some great things from some from some, some great football minds. Uh, being around you know, the first family, you know, being around the Manny family, they, they show you nothing but love, and I love them right back. Um, great experience coaching kids. Uh, you're out there all day and you're playing ball, so um, you know, that's something I love to do. Doesn't matter where at or who with. Um, whenever it's ball being played or being talked about, I want to be around it. Really tried to venture out to everybody, uh, not just SEC guys. Um, you know, talk to guys from other conferences as well. Um, just trying to get to know everybody because you know the quarterback community is a special thing. Um, uh, my roommates, my roommates was Ty Thompson, um, DQ Finn uh, from uh, Toledo, and Mike Wright. So um, as soon as I got there, I got there kind of late because my flight got delayed. 
um, got there late at night, and those guys uh, kind of woke up out their beds and to welcome me, you know, to the camp. And that was a special thing. Um, me and Mike have always been kind of cool um, along the way, and um, being able to be around those guys, uh, Ty Thompson, he can throw the mess off the ball. Um, and, and DQ Finn, he's crazy athletic, and um, you know, their personalities, we all just kind of click. So. Um, it was, it was a cool experience uh, to be out there with you know, the best quarterbacks in the nation. You know, like I said before, like me and Mike are cool, so you know, we, we can talk this out. I don't want to really text. Um, but, yeah, you know, the main counseling academy, our brotherhood is, is like my thing. You know, I never really got to be around Spence um, beforehand, so really kicking with him and, uh, you know, talking to him, you know, real down-to-earth guy, uh, real cool. Uh, we kind of click, you know, so I definitely uh, would say he's game. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, just paying attention to detail. And that's something that uh, we've been trying to preach this whole summer, paying attention to little things and uh, finishing what we started, um, whether that's in, in the weight room or on the field um, or in the classroom. You know, just making sure we're being accountable what we're doing because things off the field translate things on the field. So if we do everything right off the field, then it translates to the field and uh, we'll be successful in what we want to do. I don't think it should be a salary cap or anything. I mean, I, I feel like we should be able to get the most out of it that, that we can. Um, at the end of the day, it's our name, our, our image, our likeness. So um, I don't see why it should be a limit on that. Um, you know, it's, it's a it's a new thing, and I feel like it's a, it's a great thing for us to be able to go through this and venture out and learn things that, that we're interested in, and not just, you know, football, but, you know, business and putting us in a businessman's mindset uh, early on in life. Um, I think it's a cool thing that we um, get to experience it. What specifically about Josh Heupel's communication style has worked with you guys that it's landed? Yeah, um, really the teaching aspect. They bring everything down to the simplest form. Um, make sure we understand why we're doing things. And that's that's important to us because we don't want to go out there and blindly be going through the motions and um, just feel like it's a, just punching the clock. We want to know why we're doing this, how this is going to elevate our game, what what plays are going to put us in, a, in, the, in the best position to make plays. Um, and, and that's what Coach Heupel, um, wants to do. He wants to put us in position to make plays, and the work that we put in um, is shown when we're in a position. That was Hendon Hooker, Tennessee quarterback, and uh, I mean, dude also had his book right there, right? He, you've seen the book everywhere. It's sitting right there on the podium. He's talking about why he did it with his father and his faith and all this other stuff, and again, broken record here, but these kids are truly awesome, man. They're really just genuinely amazing people. Uh, he's so thoughtful. He's talking about day trading. Like he's just a, he's an incredible young guy. He's talking about family, uh, accountability, getting to know people, helping kids. Like, I mean, what else do you want? <laughs> like the guy threw, you know, three interceptions last year. <laughs> so um, just an extraordinary dude. Uh, all right. Trey Wallace from Outkick. And again, we talked about Hendon Hooker and a lot of the players reflecting sort of the relaxed, laid back nature of Josh Heupel, which I think was the biggest takeaway for me from Tennessee day was that these guys are confident. They are very relaxed. They are very chill. They're very confident. Josh Heupel is, is just fairly lighthearted and jovial up there. He's got a lot of Sam Pittman to his game. I think that was not my number one big takeaway. We'll talk to Trey about that as well. Lots of questions on the defense, some of the swing games. Where does this team finish at the end of the season and in the East? All of that we talked about myself and Trey Wallace. Here was my conversation with the reporter for OutKick. We are live, final day, day number four here in Atlanta, SEC Media Days at the College Football Hall of Fame. My man, Trey Wallace here, of course. 
without kick. All this coverage brought to you by J.E. Dunn, by the way. If you're looking for a great place to work, top 100 healthiest place to work in the United States. 2022 voted best place to work in the state of Tennessee as well. So if you're looking for a new career, no matter your background, check them out, jedunn.com, bringing you all this great coverage. My man Trey here. Uh, Josh just got done talking. Um, didn't say a whole lot, but the question I have is how different is he? His first year last year, no experience in the SEC as a head coach. Now he's here and he's got a winning season and a lot of fans are excited about it. How different was he this year versus last year? You know, I, I think the biggest part about it is, too, he, he didn't have to get up there and answer questions regarding the investigation going on to the program. I, I think that, you know, he, going into last year, he was nervous. How many questions are going to come about that? What do I say? Do I keep saying speed bump for the program? I think now when you look back on it and what he did with the offense and how they're – and he hit on it during the, the, his discussion. He talked about the Florida game. And if a lot of people don't remember what happened after the Florida game is, Tennessee decided to stop experimenting with wide receivers. They went with their core. You know, they went with Cedric, Valus, Javante Payton. So they got comfortable with the offense. And I think the way that you look at it right now with what he has and what he has talked about is their expectations on offense. Defense, fans know what you're getting. But when you look back to last year compared to this year, he's more comfortable because he already knows what he has. And, and the biggest thing, too, is remember – Last year, like Joe Milton, there was talk. Okay, well, Joe Milton's going to be that. Joe Milton's going to be the guy. Nobody was talking about Hendon Hooker, who now is the talk of media days, at least on Thursday. So uh, we'll start with the quarterback then because I, I find it interesting because I, I think, I mean, again, the most efficient season in the history of Tennessee football last year. So I think it's hard to ask him to replicate that. Now everybody's going to have film on him and all the defenses will have seen him, but he will have an entire offseason as the guy running the offense as, as the guy. So we're – what, is, what are your expectations for the offense? I think we've got a pretty good base layer, but are, are, like, is 43 points a game reasonable, or does it need to be – do people need to temper their expectations on offense? You know, I, I, think, I think that, that points are kind of reasonable, you know, 35, 41, whatnot. It all depends on what defense you're going up against. Too. But I look at Hendon Hooker overall. This is a guy who's going to have command. He's confident in what he's doing. Look when he came into the game last year against Pittsburgh. He almost brought Tennessee back to win. They go on the road to Florida. Things didn't go well at Florida. But then they come back and they start playing just better football. It's because he became a leader. He stepped up in the locker room. People could come to him. He was a voice. Given a whole offseason to do that, it kind of sets up for success this year. Yes, they lost some receivers from last year, some running backs, whatnot. But you're still bringing back Jabari Small. You've got Jalen Wright. Uh, you got Justin Williams in there you could put in. There are a number of players that are going to be able to help him out. And I think that's the key thing because Josh Heupel, another thing too is they didn't really know how to trust Hendon Hooker last year during the season. They didn't know what they were getting, and they've admitted to that numerous amount of times. So I think now the fact that he's been able to be that guy since the end of the season and then you go into the full off season and then summer workouts, I think that's going to be huge for him but also for the offense and whole. Tennessee's going to have to outscore some people this year. Defense is not going to be, you know, the caliber that Georgia, Alabama, A&M, others are running with. So if they can somehow try to outscore the Kentuckys, the South Carolinas and whatnot, maybe you can throw an upset in there, then you'll have success. I'll get some – I want I have some specifics, if I could speak here, um, about the defense I want to ask you in just a second. But the players themselves, I mean, you got Trey Flowers, Cedric Tillman, Hendon Hooker, you've already talked a little bit about them. How, how much of their personality – because my favorite part of this event is the players getting to know them, them getting to tell their stories. We've had so many great examples already this week, but those are three really exceptional young dudes. So what is it about those guys? Like, do you think that – 
the Josh Heupel coach dad sort of honesty, transparency thing, do you think that is now translating to the players and the players are now representing that same kind of culture? I think that when you have players like Cedric Tillman, when you have players like Hendon Hooker, you can go on offensive linemen, defensive linemen. I think that they, they're more laid back, as you can tell, than they were under Jeremy Pruitt. It is what it is. Two different regimes, but they're more laid back. And, and they can, honestly, you can go out, you know that you can make those mistakes and try to build upon them. Or if you made a mistake in a previous regime, okay, you might hit the bench. Somebody else is going to come in, and then you're losing time. I think overall the way this team is put together and the players and their attitudes and the way that they look at things, that's going to be a positive for Tennessee going forward. Because they've been – look, a lot of these guys have been down that boat. Cedric Tillman's been in it where things have just gone horribly wrong. But now you come back and you're like, okay, I got my quarterback. I got an offensive line. Got some running backs. Okay, we could do something on offense. Tight end. Like they, they have talent tight end. Jacob Warren, Princeton fan. Yeah. So I think this is just something for them attitude-wise. They understand that they'll be able to do certain things this year. They weren't last year. Yeah. And I think when you have these guys representing the program and how you know calm and relaxed they are, but you also know what you're getting out of them. I think that's very big, and especially for what Tennessee's trying to do this season, which is take the next step forward not drop a step back. Yeah, that, that quiet confidence you see sometimes here at Media Days with the group of players, and I think Tennessee certainly has that. All right, defensively, a couple of nice pieces on the outside on the defensive line in Barron and Young, completely rebuilt secondary. Every time I talk to anybody here, it's, okay, there's some chances that the front seven is pretty solid. There's some nice pieces up there. They could develop. They could be good. Certainly a good defensive line coach. But I think everyone eventually lands on the secondary. And I, what, what are we going to see out of Tennessee in the secondary? And is that the biggest concern for you? I mean, it, it, defensive line maybe is the biggest concern outside. I don't know. There's a couple. Linebacker might be too. Um, Trayvon Flowers is here. Uh, he should be able to help out in that secondary. Tank McCullough, guys like Christian Charles, younger guys. Tennessee has depth at that position. It just depends on – who they're using and what position they're using them for. Star position, you're going to put them out, you know, play them in the nickel or you're going to throw them on the corner. Who replaces Elante Taylor? Like, those are certain things that you have to look at here. I think linebacker, to me, is where there's been a problem. Where you have, you have Jeremy Banks, okay, but he is, he is just a go-getter. You've got Jawan Mitchell coming back, the Texas transfer. Maybe he'll play more than he did last year. You've got Aaron Beasley. You've got linebackers, um, that can help this team, but the problem is it's, it's, it's all a bit about scheme. And then the fact, too, is, and you know this, Tennessee's offense is on the field for two minutes. Okay, what kind of depth do you have when these guys get blown out and tired? Same could go for the defensive line. You've got parts on the defense. On the edges, I think Tennessee's going to be great. Byron Young, Tyler Barron, they'll be able to get after the quarterback, but what kind of push can they get up front? I think that's going to be the biggest thing. Rodney's Garner's got his work cut out for him when it comes to the defensive line. Yeah, I think what last in offensive time of possession last year in the yeah. entire country that doesn't help your 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 dudes running around on on defense. Yeah. Uh, I'll let you go here again. Trey Wallace outkick. Make sure you check out the website. Make sure you check out the, the Twitter account. All that great stuff. Obviously, all of our content this week brought to you by J. E. Dunn. Again, strange concept. And actually, Josh Heupel represents this. Care about the people in your business. J. E. Dunn. They care deeply about the people in their business. They they have industry leading benefits industry low levels of turnover so jedunn.com if you want to change a career again doesn't matter what your background is they can find a place for you and again just like josh heupel honesty transparency and taking care of the people around you like you like you care it's a crazy it's a crazy concept so just real quickly here we'll wrap up with the schedule because i do think that, that tennessee will win the games that they are like 
seven, eight, ten point favorite. They're going to win. They're not going to lose those games. They're not going to win the games that they're going to be a heavy underdog in. I, I don't think there's upsets there. But they got a lot of games right in the middle where that's going to be small spreads. Pittsburgh, LSU, Kentucky, uh, you know, maybe Florida as well. I, I see. I'm not buying. I'm not buying South Carolina, but I, I know. But it wouldn't surprise me if somehow that. Yeah. Spencer Rattler gets hot, and somehow they're a one- or two-point favorite. You never know. So, so I think the key to finishing second in the East, because I think Kentucky and Tennessee are going to play for the East, I think it almost comes down to Pittsburgh and Kentucky. Tell me what you think about the theory. If they lose to Pittsburgh but beat Kentucky, they finish second. If they beat Pittsburgh but lose to Kentucky, they same record, but they could finish third. Are, are, what are the two or three games you think will most define the season? You know what, I, I, I honestly think it's at Pittsburgh. And people ask me, okay, well, what do you think Tennessee's biggest game in the schedule is? I think it's the second week of the season. I think if you want to get things rolling in the right direction and stay there because you know you got Florida coming up at home, don't go drop that game at Pittsburgh. Like, that's a game you can go up there and win. I know what Pittsburgh's doing on offense and who they have at quarterback, and I get that. But that should be a game Hendon Hooker should go up there, redemption, Go beat them there, take care of business, and then you come home two weeks later, you get the Gators. If you go up there and you're one and one, and then you're two and one coming back and playing, you know, I forgot who the middle game was, then you're playing Florida. Now you're setting up in a stance where, okay, well, man, we wish we could have done that. The season would have been kind of different. I think when you look at it, the Kentucky game is huge, undoubtedly going to be at home, be very big. I think I think South Carolina is big. That's just my opinion because of what's going to happen with Georgia and Alabama. Because I think, they can, I think they can hang like they did last year in Tuscaloosa for a while with Alabama. Then they, for, for three quarters. And then, then they break away in the fourth quarter because they're worn down. I think you're going to see a lot of that this year with Tennessee, but it would not surprise me if Tennessee wins eight games. Wouldn't surprise me if somehow they pulled out nine games, nine and three, something along those lines. Um, but it all depends on two games. To me, it's Pittsburgh and Florida in the month of September. Because from then on, we're going to see, okay, how does this team respond? We saw last year they responded after the loss at Florida, went on and played some good football. Might not have won all the games, but played good football. That's a big one for me. And how does this team handle now having an entire offseason of expectations is very different than what it was last year as well. I also think the most underrated game in the, in the entire conference this year okay. for every single team, all 14, oh, Rouge, Tennessee at LSU could define both seasons for both teams. Obviously, you know, in, in Death Valley is a ton of fun. They only get to play there like once every 14 years, and we all remember the last time they, they were down there. So I think it's going to be one of the best SEC football games the entire season. Trey, Trey Wallace, everybody. All right, Texas A&M, and no, it was not an accident, in my opinion, that Jimbo Fisher, the guy who caused all the problems in the summer months, was the guy who went last out of 14 on media days. Uh, before we get to Billy Lucci, again, texax.com. We're going to talk about a whole lot of stuff with him as well. Um, but one of the things he he said, he, <laughs> he was kind of – obviously he was pressed on on the Nick Saban, Jim, Jimbo stuff, but not not a ton. And he's obviously been trained, and, and you'll hear Luch talk about this. All of them have been to sort of maintain their, their, um, their maturity levels and kind of keep everything in line and keep it between the lines this week. And I, I think they all did. Uh, I thought the one comment that was funny – was was basically about, and again, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically he just said, "Hey, all, all of our stuff, you know, is no different than anything else. It just got it just got aired out in the public." And I wanted to be like, "Yeah, dude, because you did it." <laughs> I mean, the Nick Saban thing was kind of private; it got out, wasn't that big a deal. And then you held a press conference of of historic proportions. So I did think that was interesting. 
I, I think Texas A&M is going to be pretty good. Um, and I think Billy Lucci thinks so as well. I would expect nothing else, of course, from Luch. Uh, but we talked about a lot of different things. I asked him directly to handicap the quarterback battle. He had a pretty straightforward answer. Uh, we talked about 10 wins being good enough for this fan base. What what are the expectations reasonably for this team? National championship playoff is probably not what the fan base is, is expecting, but they are expected to be very, very good. Um, but I think the most interesting thing I want you to hear is what's the thing that's been missing from Texas A&M? Why have they not been able to finish the job in certain situations? And Luch had an interesting answer. So here's my conversation with the uh, Texags owner, editor, all things college football in Texas A&M and in College Station, Billy Lucci. Final day here, final coaches here at SEC Media Days in Atlanta. 440 Sports brought to you, of course, by J.E. Dunn, one of the top 100 places to work in the United States. 2022, best place to work, industry-leading benefits, and, of course, it's an amazing concept, Billy. Billy Lucci here with Texags, of course. Amazing concept. Care about the people you work with. Treat them really well. Care about their health and productivity, and all of a sudden, they'll be pretty good employees, so go check them out, jedunn.com. And I feel like that's kind of a theme for all the coaches these days in the SEC. All the shysters are gone, and it's Josh Heupel and Mark Stoops and you know all these guys, that Sam Pittman, that seem to care pretty deeply about their programs. Uh, Jimbo Fisher's one of those guys, fits in great in College Station. What were you expecting with all the summer nonsense that's happened? What were you expecting, and was he a little bit more subdued than you thought? No, it was about what I expected. Uh, I think, you know, I think it's probably not important, but if you know Jimbo, like, I'm sure he understood that, you know, the last time everybody saw him, it was the press conference where he was understandably livid, uh, and that created so much talk and so much, you know, energy around college football and everyone talking about it. But that's the last time everybody really saw him in front of a mic and talking. So to come out here today, that's that's what I expected. And then clearly the coaches in the league, you didn't hear any talking about other ones. It was obviously that wasn't going to go on. And, and with the way Nick Saban came out earlier in the week, I think Jimbo was exactly how I would have thought he would be. Yeah, and, and honestly, and, and Jimbo is so self-deprecating about how fast he talks and how, like, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm one of these that my wife has to tell me, like, hey, slow down. Yeah. No, don't talk. <laughs> no, I know you're not. But Jimbo's kind of the only guy who could have gotten himself in, in trouble, and he stayed on he stayed on topic. And let's talk about the team, because I find, I find that to be far more interesting. I came into this week thinking – Pretty confidently, and all all summer long, you know, Texas A&M clear number two, potential top ten, top five type of team. If things break right, they find the right quarterback, they could be a playoff contender. Do you still feel that way, or do you feel they're clo- like Arkansas is better, Mississippi State's better? Like, wh- how is your opinion on where they stand in this in this in the SEC West? Has it changed at all this week? No, and I look, I think they can certainly lose games to teams like that, and that's going to be everyone across the SEC. Hell, Alabama, I think was it five of their eight SEC games were decided probably midway through the fourth quarter or later last year. I think Bama will actually have less of those type games this year. I think they're going to have a lot better team. But I think A&M, everybody else, not named Georgia. And I'd I, I bet you will see Georgia play some close games this year too uh, with that East improving, in my opinion. But, look, I, what I keep getting asked, and when you mentioned Arkansas and Mississippi State, they both beat A&M last year. And – they're certainly capable of beating them again this year. You look at those quarterbacks. Ain't them in September. It's Van Dyke, Rodgers, and Jefferson versus we don't know who AM's quarterback is going to be yet. So that, that kind of stuff is a concern as you go in. But what I keep coming back to, Braden, 
is if you look at all those teams, plus throw in the LSUs, the Tennessees, the Kentuckys of the world, I still think A&M's ceiling is higher than all of them. So if you make me pick, like, hey, who's the team to contend with Georgia and or Alabama, I'm still going to go A&M because I think, if, like you said a minute ago, if they get that quarterback thing right, that ceiling is that of a playoff contender. I'm going to ask you about that quarterback in, in just a second, but what, what is the thing that has, has kept them, you know, they beat Alabama last year, they beat them on the recruiting trail, and I think you and I have talked about this before, but it just seems like, all right, Got, you got to beat the game. Got to beat the teams you're supposed to beat. And it was the Mississippi schools last year, Arkansas, and even a bad LSU team. What, what is the what is the thing inside the locker room? Because I mean, we can talk players, we can talk quarterback play. Like we all know that stuff. But what is the thing that that needs to be tweaked inside the locker room by Jimbo that fixes that problem? I'll tell you this. I, I don't know. Other than I think I think I can go back to Ole Miss and Mississippi State and say on first and ten first and goal in both instances down five in each game with a chance to take the lead in the fourth quarter. They got stuffed for a three or four yard loss on first down in both those games. You take a fourth quarter lead in both of those if you don't get knocked off the ball. You're moving it. and So maybe it's you know finishing in the red zone. That, that's been a problem for them in terms of touchdowns. But I really think, Braden, we'll find out after this year what I'm about to say. I think and nothing against Zach Calzada, but he got thrust into action, and he wasn't the answer at quarterback. I think it's as simple as a quarterback injury because if you go back to year one under Jimbo, they beat a top-10 Kentucky team. They beat a top-10 LSU team. They were rolling through the bowl game at the end. They didn't lose one game they weren't supposed to win. You go to year two under Jimbo, it's a five-loss season. That's not good. They lost maybe, I would say, Auburn at home. Auburn was number eight. That, but that wasn't a great Auburn team. They didn't finish number eight. Maybe. But then they lost to number three Georgia, number one LSU, number one Clemson, and number one Alabama. So, and then in year three, they went nine and one. Lost only to Bama. Won the Orange Bowl. So in his first three years, I think you'd have a hard time picking a game to say that's one they should have won. At Mississippi State with three first-round draft picks at night, Fitzgerald at QB. You can nitpick, but – to what you're saying, it happened last year, I would say, four times. So it's more of like, let's get out of this before it becomes a thing. I think since Jimbo's been at AM, the trend has actually been they win the games they're supposed to, and they'd only broken through a couple of times. You think of LSU and then obviously Bama. So to me, the, the bigger thing would be get the quarterback position right and then go use that Bama game to catapult and win a couple more big ones. It's interesting because the, the end of the Ole Miss game, or the second half of that Ole Miss game, because they jump out, Matt Corral jumps out, and they're slinging it all around. Elko makes good adjustments, and they play a really good defensive game in the second half. And they are. They're that one turnover on the, in the goal line around away from beating them. Now, the Arkansas game is a little different. They got, they got, pushed, one, around, they they got, got pushed around a little bit. To me. But let's go to the quarterbacks here, and and obviously much better. You and I talked about this much better than this stage of the season last year. Certainly after two games, way better uh, than they where they were. Can you try to handicap it at all? Like, is there is there percentages? If I'm going to Vegas, do you, do you have some odds for me? If I was going to Vegas, I'd give you, very, in my opinion, very slight odds for Haynes. Like I just I just think what people keep because I love I think Max Johnson's stuff, and I think people so underestimate him around the SEC in terms of he's 27 touchdowns and six picks last year with a terrible O-line, lost Boutte, no real running game, 
They wouldn't throw to the, I think the tight ends caught five passes and, and, and total dysfunction. And to go 27 and six, TD, you know, and, and he was actually great in that A&M game, got sacked like seven times, kept getting up. So, and gets to A&M and everybody goes, wow. And he's better athlete than, than, we, than we knew. So, but Haynes, the one thing no one talks about is he, he won this job. He's already won it once for Jimbo Fisher. And and that four four five speed, it, it, those two things are what I kind of keep going back to. But I think the Aggies can't go wrong with either because I think they're both winners, and I think they're both they're, – but they're different. So judging that battle is going to be really interesting. It, I think it's Jimbo's – because of the team that's going to be around them and because they'd both be back next year, Braden – and when you look at that next year, they're going to return all five alignment, all four starting D linemen, and a quarterback. And that number one recruiting class of all time is year two. If they can get to about 10 wins this year, even 10 and two, you might be talking about a preseason number one or number two, and a real chance to win a national title for the first time maybe ever at AM. So making this pick, I would say, is Jimbo's probably his second most important. QB selection that he's made because again it's like it could very well be a two-year thing it's not just about this year and behind you know the Jameis over Coker one Billy Lucci techsags.com of course is the the site I think 10 and 2 if you finish seventh eighth in the country Texas A&M fans super happy with that I I think absolutely And, and look the goal is to win a national title it's to win the SEC they first even just to win the SEC make a play we get that but I think not just A&M, but around the country. This thing of, oh, Jimbo hadn't won the big game. Well, he beat a top five Florida team. He beat – he won an Orange Bowl. He beat LSU when they were in the top ten. And he, and he beat Alabama of all teams. He won a national championship. Well, yeah, in that too. I just meant at A&M, yeah. And won – so – but I think what the people are saying, you know, he hasn't done anything at A&M, but like he pointed out today, just a year ago they, they finished number four in the country. In his, in his third season. And then you had a start in QB go down. So if they got back to that 10, right, 10 and 2 on this schedule, then I think you got to go back if you're in the SEC network, you're ESPN, you cover college football, you have to go back and say, okay, New Year's Six Bowl and top five finish. New Year's Six Bowl and whether you win it top five, lose it top 10. Two top 10 finishes, two New Year's Six Bowls in three years, and the only thing in between was a QB injury that derailed you. You lost a bunch of close games. Then you'd have to step back and go, okay, he has taken that A&M program somewhere they haven't been, and they do have a chance to win a national title in the next couple of years. Absolutely, of course. I no idea the, the College Football Hall of Fame is falling down around us. It's still a wonderful place to go visit, by the way, if you're a college football fan. Uh, Texags. Obviously, Billy Lucci, the godfather down there in southeast Texas. Uh, my name is Braden Gall, of course. J.E. Dunn Construction is who's bringing you all this content. Top 100 healthiest place to work in the United States. Voted 2022's best place to work in the state of Tennessee. Offices across the southeast. $5 billion in annual revenue. I know that. Your ears just perked Sounds up like at that. <laughs> it, is, it is. And they don't even want you to buy $50 million buildings. They want you to come work for them because they're all about happy, healthy employees. And it's amazing how that works. When you care about the people that work for you, they get a lot of stuff done. So Go check them out, jdunn.com. BillyLucciTechSags.com. It's always next year. 
with Texas A&M. This time, though, I actually believe him. If he picks the right guy, Jimbo Fisher, picks the right quarterback, that offense could be extraordinary in 2023. And that team, like he said, could be a preseason number one type of team. Think about what Alabama and Georgia are going to be losing. If this, Here's what I think Texas A&M has to do. And we can bake this into our predictions here as we begin to discuss where these three teams are going to finish. I, I just think, honestly, first and foremost, if Texas A&M handles handles enough of their business meaning i don't know you know you lose to alabama you lose one other game but if you just handle enough of your business and your texas a&m and you finish 10 and 2 like we talked about and you and you finish top 10 i think that and and you've picked the right quarterback i think that is what sets you up to finish the job and potentially be a legitimate national championship contender in 2023 i know that's exactly what a&m fans have been saying for like 55 years i get it but if they pick the wrong quarterback and they're shuffling back and forth and they're doing all this stuff up and down and they don't they don't find the guy, then I don't think we're talking about that team the same way in 2023. So that's the thing I agree the most with in terms of, of the future for, with, with Billy Lucci there, which is if Texas A&M can get to 10-2, and two, finish second in the West, which is where I rank them now that I'm in the predictions mode here, I, I think that's the key. You lose to Bama, no shame. You lose one other time. You slip up in a tough schedule, no shame. But 10-2 and two means you pick the right guy, and it means you're catapulting yourself into a big bowl and a big 2023. So I agree with you on that one. I know this is you know going to disappoint some big orange people, but I've got Tennessee third in the East. I just don't think there's really that big a difference in record between Tennessee and, and, and Kentucky and, frankly, Arkansas or Mississippi State or LSU. I think they're all like basically 8-4. and four. And I just think there's really, as I, as I said with Trey, if they lose to Pittsburgh and beat Kentucky, they're probably second. If they beat Pittsburgh and lose to Kentucky, they're probably third. Um, I don't like picking that because it, it means I'm picking them to beat Florida and lose to Kentucky, which makes no sense. But I do think this is a, a really good football team. I think the offense is going to be really, really good. I think they've got to find major, major key pieces on defense before I think they are as complete and as dangerous and as physical up front as Kentucky. I think Kentucky is just a more complete football team, as I explained on the previous pod. So go check that out. Uh, and then Auburn. Uh, unfortunately, I have Auburn at seven, but I think there's a pretty good case to be made that Auburn could be a good football team. Uh, I've said it before on the pod when we talked about second-year coaches. The you know the reason, the case for, for Auburn is pretty simple. It's, look, uh, you, know, you got Tank Bigsby, who's a stud. You got... Uh, an offensive line that's great. You got a top five or four defense in the SEC that's going to be real tough to move the football on. And you are a quarterback guy, quarterback guru, supposedly, who is betting on himself to develop one of those quarterbacks. Zach Calzada, all signs pointing to him being the starting quarterback. There's no question about that. So uh, I've got Auburn at seven, but I, I think that's a winning record potentially. And I think 12 of the 14 teams will finish with bowl records and be playing in bowl games. And I just think it's the healthiest and deepest we've ever seen this league. And that is saying a lot for the best conference in the history of college football. Uh, all right, enough of me. That's about it for us. We've got a lot of good stuff coming next week for you. There's going to be some videos up on the YouTube page, so make sure you check that out. But um, one last thing before we go, just want to say tremendous thanks to J.E. Dunn for allowing this all to happen. Uh, I'm serious when I say go check him out, jedunn.com. Go go work for him, man. Like I, I I don't think many of you are trying to build $50 million buildings. That they, they want good people because they are going to take care of you. Happy, healthy, fulfilled employees are productive. That's, that's you know, look at the economy around us. You've got to fight for good employees to stay, and, and J.E. Dunn is doing it, man. The, the, the corporate stale nature of the event 
That is the exact opposite. I've been inside J.E. Dunn's office. They've got record players and video games and big green eggs, and I'm not kidding about any of this. So uh, go check them out, jedunn.com is the website. Special thanks to all you guys who made it happen and for listening and for sharing and all the coaches and the players and the media and everything. Check out Gun Show in Atlanta. No free shouts, free shout of the night, of the week. Gun Show, favorite restaurant in the city. There you go. My name is Braden Gall, at Braden Gall. Again, check out the YouTube page. We'll be back next week. Aaron, back on the show next week with us. This has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. Sports Network.